are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bibles tonight and open, please, to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. You know the verse I'm going to use tonight, but perhaps you have not heard the approach I'm going to take on it. So I hope that tonight this will be a blessing. And I pray that everybody in the building tonight would just go ahead and decide right now that if God speaks, you're going to let Him have His way in your life tonight. You know, I remember when I first got saved. I got saved, then I got baptized and joined the church. I joined the choir. I was 16 years old. And uh, I remember saying to one of my buddies in the church, I said, Hey, look, I've, uh, I've done everything there is to do. I don't have to make any more decisions. And nothing else the preacher can preach is going to make me have to go to the altar and kneel there any longer. Boy, did I find out how wrong that attitude was. Amen. But we sometimes get the idea that everything is fine. I'm perfect. By the way, none of us are. We've not yet reached sinless perfection in this life. And I just ask that if the Holy Spirit of God tugs at your heart tonight, that you'll be willing, along with this preacher right here, to make whatever decisions are necessary, that the Holy Spirit will know that He's had His way in our lives tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You could quote it to me. I'll read it to you right now. It says, If my people... By the way, this is talking to God's crowd and not the devil's crowd. Amen? My people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, by the way, I like it, immediate result, then, right on the spot, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open. Can you hear God say it? He says, look guys, I- I'm watching, I'm waiting, I'm anxious for this decision to be made. He said, mine eyes shall be open and mine ears are tent under the prayer that is made in this place. In other words, God tonight is interested in what's going on right here in this area, in this church, in this service tonight. I want us to bow for a word of prayer and ask God to really do a work in our lives tonight that we would know it was Him that visited with us this evening. Father, we love You. Lord, there are so many men in this building tonight who could stand here and preach. Yet You have given me this privilege. And I pray tonight, Lord, that as I bring the message that You'll just fill me with the power of Thy Holy Spirit. For those that are here tonight wondering, well, what will God do in my heart this evening? In the next few moments, may we understand what the answer to that question will be. For God, we desperately beg that you would do a work in our hearts. All of us, every one of us. If there are those in our midst that have not yet trusted Christ as Savior, may today be the day they find him as their Savior. And then, Lord, for those of us that love you, And have a desire to serve you better. Do something tonight to help us accomplish that goal. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I read that verse and I said, you know, there must have been a motley crowd 
that God had to write verse 14. Think about it. He said, hey, I want you guys to get humble. I sort of pictured in my mind a bunch of people walk around all puffed up with pride. And he said, hey, I want you guys to begin to pray. And not just pray, but seek my face. And I sort of had a vision in my mind that a bunch of folks walking around and filled with pride and not thinking they had to pray to God for anything. They could do it by themselves and with their own talent, with their own ability. And then the Word of God goes on and says, and turn from your wicked way. I thought maybe be a church like the Corinthian church, maybe, where Paul had to rebuke them for being so steeped in sin as to even become involved in, in incest and wickedness and immorality. I said, you know, I want to find out the crowd that God had written verse number 14 to, and then I want to do my best not to be like that crowd. So I turned over to the beginning of this chapter where you're going to find the crowd to whom verse 14 was written. We find in verse number 1 that God began to reveal to us what kind of a leader this nation had. The Bible says in verse 1 of Second Chronicles 7, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. Now wait a minute. I had this picture in my mind of this very uh, prideful man that did not pray, that was living wickedly. Yet when I began to investigate the people, I find a leader that could pray fire down out of the sky. Now, I don't know about you, but I prayed several times today, and I haven't even had a cigarette lighter to go off yet. Yet he said here that this leader prayed down fire from the sky. I thought, well, okay, the leader may have been okay, but maybe those preachers are no good. You know, a lot of going around about how no good we preachers are these days, amen? And uh, the Jimmy uh, Swaggers and the Jimmy Bakers and so forth around the country. So I said, maybe the preachers were no good, and God had to write verse number 14 to the preacher crowd. But look at verse number 2. It says, and the priest, those were the men responsible for the religious activities of the folks back then, the preachers, the priests, could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And I thought, saw that and I said, well, the leader did fine. He could pray fire down out of the sky. The preachers were doing well. They did their job so well that God's glory was so strong in God's house they could not even go in. And I thought, well, now, if it's not the leader and it's not the preachers, who's left? It must be those no-account people. Look at verse number 3. It says, And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement, and they worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good, His mercy endureth forever. This is a great church. As I said a moment ago, I'm delighted to be associated and affiliated with this wonderful church. But when I pulled across the road and parked on the street, sorry to admit that to you. Yeah, you would have had to be there during workers' meeting to find out you weren't supposed to do that. And got out of my car and looked around. I saw folks milling all around the building. Coming and going and fellowshipping and shaking hands and talking. But I saw nobody on their face in the parking lot on their pavement 
worshiping and praising God. So I sort of scratched my head and I said, wait a second. The leader could pray fire out of the sky. And the preachers had done their job so well that God's glory permeated the house of the Lord. And the people were of such a spiritual mind and heart that they bowed themselves to the ground on the pavement. Then why did God have to write verse number 14? To whom was he writing this thing that you've got to get rid of your pride and you've got to start praying and you've got to start seeking my face and you've got to turn from your wicked way? And I think I found the answer to that question in verse number 13. Now look up here just a moment. I want to remind you. The leader was doing well spiritually. The preachers were doing well spiritually. The people were doing well spiritually. But God had a warning in verse 13. In other words, everything is going fine now. And everything is going well today. But he says in verse 13, If I shut up heaven... In other words, if there comes a time when the blessing is no longer there, the blessing is there now. But if there comes a time when the blessing is gone, he says this, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a pestilence among my people, then he said, put verse number 14 into action. In other words, here it is. In this group tonight, we have folks in all different stages of your spiritual lives. Some of you are just beginning. It was a thrill to see those uh, brand new baby Christians coming down here this morning and kneeling down and getting saved and getting baptized and joining the church and others making decisions here at the altar. A thrill! And then we have folks that have developed uh, quite a bit more in their spiritual lives and, and they're walking with the Lord and they've got responsibility and they're walking close to God. And we have all those in between. Now God said this, He said there may come a time or there may be a time right this very moment. There may come a time when the blessing is no longer there. And when that occurs, here's how you get it back. In other words, you can have it the way that it used to be. You can have it the way it used to be. That's right, Christian. That's right, church. That's right, Sunday school teacher. That's right, deacon. That's right, preacher. You can have it back the way it used to be. Now, how did it used to be? Maybe I don't want it back like that. You always hear folks talking about the good old days. My grandpa used to tell us about the good old days. Walking down to the creek with a bucket and getting your running water as you ran back up the hill with it. That's not good old days, if you ask me. You always talk about, I remember we used to be able to buy a Pepsi for five cents. Yeah, but they don't tell you, remember the old days when you used to have to have the guy come around with the ice truck because you didn't have a refrigerated plug in the wall. Maybe you don't want the good old days, but I have an idea after we look at what I'm going to show you. Everybody in this room wants the good old days. Number one, we find in verse number one, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven. Now, I'm not trying to get anybody here tonight to come forward and surrender to giving your life over, to getting so close to God that you could pray fire out of the sky. That wouldn't do any of us any good in this room. Only thing it would make us want to do is worship you and get you to sign four or five of our Bibles so we can say, I used to know that guy. But I am reminded of this about the fire of God. I'm reminded of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus 
when Jesus joined them and walked with them along the journey. And they said when they found out it was Christ, they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us when He walked with us along the way? I'm talking about the old-fashioned fire of God, the power of God that enables us to go out and serve. Most of us languish in defeat only because we have not the power of God upon our lives. Most of us struggle with maybe some ministry that we're not able to get off the ground only because we have not the power of God on our lives and the fire of God in our bones. When I was going to Bible college, some kids began to run around and they said, uh, Dr. Hiles is coming to preach in chapel. That meant nothing to me because I'd never heard of him before. I say that around the country and I preach and folks look at me like, Man, what kind of salamander are you calling out from under a rocket? See, I, I got saved in a church that uh, was anti-bus ministry and anti-big church and anti-giving a hamburger away to somebody that's hungry and anti... I, I grew up 20-minute drive away from Dr. Tom Malone's church and I never heard of his name because my church where I got saved did not like Dr. Tom Malone. And so when they said Dr. Hiles was coming, I said, so what? I thought it was going to be another one of those uh, boring presentations on Baptist history we got so much of in the, in the college campus sometimes. So you're being rather frank. Yeah, I'll be more frank as the night goes on. And I began to preach on that Monday evening and I learned very quickly who Dr. Hiles was. And that night when he gave the invitation, he said, Some of you young men are here, just ready to get your little diploma in your hand, and then you're going to go out and serve God. He said, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not serving God tonight, you won't serve Him then either. By the way, he's right. Boy, I was one of the first ones to hit the altar and fell down there, and I said, God, forgive me. When the chapel service is over, I went outside on the fire escape out behind the main hall on the campus. Which, by the way, was 75 demerits if you've been found there. Enough to campus you. Uh, you say, what's that mean? That means you'd have to stay on campus until you're 87 years of age. But man, I was wanting to get right with God and I wanted to get somewhere where there maybe wouldn't be anybody to bother me. So I got on the fire escape. And I started to pray and cry and beg God. And I heard some noise above me. And I looked up and I thought, oh, my soul, of all the folks to find me on the fire escape, it was the student body president, Den Carroll. And he came down there and he said, Wally, what are you doing? I said, well, to be quite honest with you, I'm just getting right with God. He said, well, to be honest with you, so am I. Could I pray with you? I said, man, you can do anything you want to if you don't give me 75 demerits. That's all right. <laughs> so we prayed together there on the fire escape. And that night, God knit our hearts together, much like that of Jonathan and David. And God opened up doors that I would not have begin to have enough time to tell you about tonight. We said, oh God, we don't understand exactly what the power of God was that Brother Howes is talking about tonight. But we want to have God's power on our lives. That next morning, less than 12 hours after our little meeting on the fire escape, the Bible College president came wife came running down the hallway and she said, Denny, would you like to go up to northern Wisconsin and fill in for five weeks? There's a pastor up there. His wife is ill. They're going to have to be out of the pulpit for five weeks. They're going out of town and they need somebody. He said, I'll go if Brother Davis can go with me. She said, that'll be fine. 
And we drove up to the First Baptist Church of Mesita, Wisconsin. Doesn't have a nice ring to it. First Baptist Church. Usually the biggest one in town, the most well-established. It had been, uh, been there longer and have usually the, the bigger buildings. And so we drove up to Nacita, Wisconsin to take up our reins for five weeks at the First Baptist Church of Nacita, Wisconsin. We drove into town and saw a little placard on the sign that said, Welcome to Nacita, population 750. Well, I thought the church was going to be bigger than that, you know, and a little bit disappointed. But I thought, no, wait a second. There could be 700 in the Baptist church and the 50 divided amongst the rest of them. We could still have a good-sized church. We began to inquire in town, where's the church? They said, oh, you've got to go back outside of town about four miles. You find the power lines that are going over the road and you turn right down an old dirt road and cross over the railroad tracks. And on the left-hand side, you will find the First Baptist Church of Nacida, Wisconsin. I thought to myself, glory to God, they're so huge. They had to buy a farm in order to keep all their property and, and buildings together. Well, we drove out there and found the power lines and, and went down the dirt road and over the railroad tracks. And we found a building that could have set inside about one-tenth of this building. I mean the tiniest thing you ever saw, your, you ever saw in your life. Um, one of these pews up here where these men are sitting, they had five pews about that length. And that was it. And I remember getting down on our knees behind the pulpit of that little church. As a college kid, a freshman in Bible college. And praying with Brother Carroll. And I said, oh God, we don't know why you open up the doors for us to come here. But it's not just to come and play games. God, we want to see, and I prayed, I said, Lord, we want to see 40 people come to Christ. Then the next five services, the five Sundays. Brother Carroll stopped me in the middle of my praying. He said, what did you just pray? I said, well, I, I prayed for 40 people to get saved. He said, Brother Davis, this... This building only seats about 25. Well, Sunday morning came. There was Pastor Carroll and Brother Davis and six other people that showed up to church that day. They would have all would have had to have gotten saved about seven times apiece for us to reach our 40. Just let me say this. We began to work. I'm talking about February and March in northern Wisconsin, brother, when it's cold. I remember coming out here in January of 1983 and Pastor and his wife picked me up at the airport and uh, took me up to San Francisco to Pier 39 to show me around. It was about 65 degrees. And Mrs. Treber was all bundled up. She said, oh, Brother Davis, it's just so cold. And I, just left, I just left New England where it was five below zero, man. I thought I would died and gone to heaven. It was wonderful. And I don't mean that kind of cold. I mean five below zero kind of cold. We went out and knocked on doors and, and begged folks to come to church and visited and prayed and went soul winning. And I could tell you victory after victory. don't have time tonight. But let me tell you this. Sunday night, the second week of the month of March, 1971. It was one of those cold northern Wisconsin winter nights. The moon was out shining in its fullness, reflecting off of the snow that was all over the ground. It's one of those kind of nights that some of you folks in the Midwest could remember. You could drive your automobiles without turning your headlights on. And I looked across the top of his 1970 green Buickless saber, and he said, Brother Davis, how many came forward today for salvation? And I told him. 
He had his big spiral notebook. We're keeping all the records in. And he wrote it down. He said, you want to know what? And I said, what? He said, with the folks that came forward today and tonight, he said, we had exactly 40 down the aisle for salvation. And I remember going back. The church owned three acres of property of pine trees out behind the building. We went out there in the middle of those pine trees and knelt down there in the snow with the moon filtering through the leaves of those pine trees. A couple of kid preachers began to cry uncontrollably and beg and plead with God that we would never lose what we found in northern Wisconsin in March of 1971. You know what? I'm talking of some folks tonight in this room that have never found that power. I'm talking to others who used to have it, but you don't have it anymore. I got called to a little church in the central New Jersey area, 32 miles south of New York City. The only place in the world that has traffic worse than this area. You say, it couldn't be worse. <laughs> it's worse, believe me. Had 32 on December 5th, 1976. And I began to pray and beg God for the power that He had showed me in March of 1971. I said, God, the only way in this world I'm going to be able to build this church here is by the power of Almighty God. And our fourth anniversary had 606 in attendance. Let me just say this. More exciting than the attendance, although that's exciting and that sort of gives you a yardstick to measure what you need to do better and all that kind of stuff. When I gave the invitation that Sunday morning on that particular day, we had 126 people walk the aisles to get saved that Sunday morning service in that building where I was preaching. I, 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 didn't have, I didn't begin to have enough people to deal with them. So I did all I knew what to do. I led them to Christ from the pulpit and had them repeat after me and I showed them the Romans' old plan of salvation. And then I had my people just sort of get about ten apiece and write down their names for follow-up. Remember getting off by myself. Begging God that I would never lose that power. Could I be quite honest with you tonight and candid with you? There have been times when the old devil has come along and backhanded you. And you get to feeling kind of poorly spiritually. You know what I'm talking about? And I found myself in desperate need to get off by myself and get alone and say, Oh God, I've got to have your power again. It's sort of like filling your car up with gas. Just because you filled it up on Monday doesn't mean that you still have it full on Friday. It's that way when you serve God. And the way really, the, the Lord said that. He said, wait a second. Just because you're able to pray fire out of the sky now, He said verse 13 might come along somewhere down the line. What you need to do is go down to verse 14 and get it back again. I remember Brother Treber called me on the telephone. He said, I want to challenge you to a contest. I had just been in the church out there in New England just, uh, oh, just a couple of months. And I said, well, Doc, I, I don't know. I said, we haven't really gotten anything in place. I said, I'll be glad to have a contest if it will help you guys and your attendance. 
And he laid down some ground rules so that you, did, you couldn't win only by attendance. There were several things. You added up points, and the ones with the most points won. And I remember calling back out here, and, I, and he said, well, well, how many folks did you have? How many visitors? That, by the way, that particular Sunday morning, had 150 first-time adult visitors in my Sunday school class. My folks went wild. They began to work. And uh, he said, well, well, how many of this? And, and we, we had, a, had a whole thing set up where you added up points and touchdowns and field goals and extra points and all that. He said, how many points do you have? And I told him. And I never will forget. Put his hand over the phone. He turned to Brother Chapel. At that time, was still on staff. He said, Brother Chapel, they beat us. My crowning glory in life. Maybe I just got my support cut off. I'm not sure, but... Most exciting thing to me about that day, though, was the 86 folks that walked the aisle for salvation that morning. You say, Brother Davis, you sort of sound like getting people saved is kind of the main thing. By the way, it is. It's about the only thing I can think of that God is pleased with us that we can do down here that gets closest to His heart. That's why He sent His Son. He did not send Jesus so He could cram knowledge into our brains. He sent the Lord to seek and save the lost. And it behooves you and I to walk close enough to God and have His power so when we go out and serve the Lord, no matter what our capacity is. I'm describing tonight my capacity, which has been as a preacher. But whatever it is you find yourself responsible for, walk with God, seek His power. By the way, the Lord said, you can have it back the way it used to be. I find people where I go are defeated. You might find a church like this that by and large is excited and on fire. But there are folks and pockets of folks throughout the church that are defeated. And ministries that maybe you're responsible for that aren't going as well as you want them to go. I remember when I was getting ready for that big day in New Jersey. On a Saturday afternoon, I was driving down the road out towards Zarephath. You folks know where that is. Had some visits to make out there. And I got to thinking about the responsibility that was ours for the next day. And I began to think about the responsibility that was mine to preach to all the, the hundreds of folks that I'd begged my people to bring in as, as visitors and guests. And I was just overcome with the responsibility and I began to cry and I began to beg God. And I said, oh, Lord, I can't stand tomorrow and preach in the energy of the flesh. God, I've got to have your power. And I began to cry. Is it 286 or 276 or 280, where that road is next, next to us there? I was driving down that road. And I couldn't see to drive. I began to boo-hoo like a baby. And I remember pulling off to the side of the road and stopping the car and putting on my four-way flashers. And I, I was ashamed for people to drive by and see me sitting there, a full-grown man dressed up in a business suit, sitting there bawling, looked like a stockbroker, just lost everything at the stock market. And I lay down in the front seat of my car, I guess for a good half hour, 45 minutes, begging God to do something. And then for 126 folks to get saved. You say, how did that happen, Brother Davis? On the side of the road, crying and begging God for His power. The way it used to be. The power of God. Some of us in this, in this room tonight must begin to beg for the power of God. And I'm not talking just to lay folks. I'm talking to staff. I'm talking to folks in charge of different departments of our ministry. I know what I'm talking about. 
By the way, mark it down. Pestilence will come. The locust will come. Problems will come. God said, that's okay. You can have it back if you want it. Verse 2 says, And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. You know, I go so many places, and this does not apply here. But I go so many places, Brother Treban, I know you do when you travel. Churches are dead. Walk in the back door, and, and, and there's everything but the funeral music playing on the organ. The pastor's defeated, and the people are defeated, and Sunday school teachers are defeated. There's no glory, no lilt, no excitement. And I walk in and I say, oh God, what could I do as a visiting guest to try to help these folks? You know what? God said in this church, in the house of God, His glory was there in such power that they couldn't even walk in right away. I remember a scientist from Johnson & Johnson had a big research and development headquarters there in New Brunswick. Just outside my, my church there in New Jersey. A scientist who was the one that invented the ouchless band-aid. Aren't you impressed? Every child in this room is shouting glory to God tonight. But remember you used to have those band-aids on and you'd take it off and half your skin came off with it. He invented the ouchless band-aid. He came to one of our services on a Sunday morning. And after it was all finished, he said, Pastor, I've got to see you. He said, I'm saved. Been saved a number of years. He said, but I've got to ask you something. I said, what? He was weeping. He said, when I just walked into the building this morning, he said, I just knew something was different. What's here? What's here? Why is this different? You know what? We need to guard against Satan sneaking into our churches. And draining out that feeling of, shouldn't be what's here, but who's here. And the happiness, and the joy, and the praise the Lord's, and the handshakes, and the smiles, and the warmth, and the caring, and the loving. I remember going to church with my grandpa down North Carolina, Clyde, North Carolina. He took me down to this church and a fellow in there by the name his name was Howard Jones the preacher's up there preaching I'm about 10 years old and I wasn't even saved yet I didn't know what was going on about halfway through the service the preacher got cranking down on some truth that got next to Howard Jones's heart and all of a sudden Howard Jones jumped to his feet began to run around the auditorium shouting to the top of his lungs and I said Papa what's wrong with that man he said, son, he got happy. He got happy. You know, I'm not really trying to advocate tonight. We get 45 or 50 men running around the building shouting and throwing their shoes up in the air. But that sure beats the fire out of those dead places I go into sometimes. 
Boy, keep that excitement all the time. Make sure when you walk in those back doors of this auditorium and you're coming to God's house on the Lord's Day or on a Wednesday night or some other service during the week, you make sure before you leave your home that you're right with God and you're going to carry God's glory into this place. Not, it, not the gloom of Satan, but the glory of God. Not just coming in talking about the burdens of the day, but talking about the victories of glory. There's enough places to go talk about the gloom. Go down to the coffee shop and get the newspaper out. Talk about how bad stuff is down there. When you talk about something in here, get out His book and talk about His victory. The glory of God. Then the Bible goes on and says in verse number 3, and I've gone past my 15 minutes, says, Verse 3, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down. By the way, just look around this place. You'll see where the fire of God is. Look at the folks getting saved. Watch the waters that are troubled by baptism. Look at the buses out front. You see God's fire. And it says, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement, and they worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, His mercy endureth forever. A preacher friend of mine called me on the phone. He said, Hey, look, I'm, I'm going down to Newcastle, Delaware to preach. Would you come with me? He said, Just sort of hang out a couple of days and kind of forget about the telephone and and some of the problems and the burdens and the responsibilities for just a couple of days. Would you come with me? I said, I'll be glad to. He was the keynote speaker that Monday night at a big convention down there. About 1,500, 2,000 folks in attendance. Checked in the motel room. He went that night and preached and gave the invitation. One of those kind of invitations where you say come forward, but there's no way to come forward. You, the aisleways just filled up instantly and the front was flooded and folks just knelt there at their pews making an altar out of the place where they sat. Glorious kind of a service. Services that preachers dream and beg and pray about. Got a bite to eat afterwards and went back to the motel room. Lights went out. It was about a little bit after midnight and wasn't that far from him. We had just one of those little uh, little tables in between our, our twin beds. And so I was pretty close. We could hear each other breathing and so forth. And I, I heard him kind of sniffling. And I thought, well, now he called and talked about maybe some burden. I said, maybe he's got a heartache or something. And his sniffling got a little bit louder and he actually began to boo-hoo. I don't know about you, but I, I feel uncomfortable around folks and they begin to cry. Don't you? I mean, I, I don't mind it. You know, if you need to cry, go ahead and cry. And, and I've done that before, but I just sort of feel like I shouldn't be there. It's like, you know, you just, just, it's, like, it's like being at somebody's house as a kid and the father jumps all over the guy that you were there to visit. You remember how you felt doing that? You, you felt like he's going to get you next and you're not even his kid? So I was just about ready to say, Preacher, you know, is there something I can do? Do you want me to leave or leave the room and go to a coffee shop for a while or something? And just about the time I was just about ready to say something, he went, Woo! Glory to God! Scared me to death! I thought someone crawled up in a bed with him or he stuck his finger in the light side. I didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden he began, to, he began to shout and praise God. He said, Glory to God! Hallelujah! Now, have you ever been by somebody... And they started to run, and you didn't know why they're running, but you're going to start running too. I was, I was, I felt like I said, yeah, glory to God. Why? 
I didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, he began to weep. And he said, Brother Davis, I was just thinking about this thing tonight. I said, what's that? He said, I just remember when I was seven years old, my brother was five years old. We'd come home at night, and my mom and dad would meet us at the door, and they didn't want us in because of some of the activities going on inside the home. And they'd tell us to go on downtown and leave them alone. Don't come into the house right now. Should I get my little five-year-old brother by the hand? We'd walk downtown, go into the five and ten cent store, and we'd steal candy and toys and soda pops. I said, that was the kind of life I was developing as a seven-year-old kid. He said, one day a man came by on a Saturday morning and knocked on our door. said, our church has a little bus that comes by here picking up boys and girls to go to Sunday school. Sir, would you mind if your boys came and rode the Sunday school bus with me? He said, our dad was delighted to have us gone for the day. He said, that Sunday morning, a big old bus pulled up out in front of our house that said Highland Park Baptist Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Dr. Lee Robertson, pastor. He said, my brother and I got on that bus and went down to Sunday school and we both got saved. He said, I just got to thinking. He said, I'm a preacher. I got to preach to 1,500, 2,000 people tonight. I have a saved wife. I've got two saved boys. I'm called pastor by people that I love and, and, and people who love me. He said, my boys are, 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 are going to go grow up to serve the Lord. And he said, I don't have to wonder if they're going to die and go to hell. None of my family's on drugs. My brother is a bus director tonight of a big church. He said, I just got to thanking God for what he did for me. By the way, did you know that's what worship is? You know how you could worship God tonight if you dared get back to an attitude of worship? Oh, no, it's not coming in and singing some kind of a funeral dirge as you walk through the building. It's getting alone with God. Or maybe with a buddy or two. Or maybe with your family. And you just start thinking how good God is. And before long, you too shall be saying, He is good. His mercy endureth forever. Most of us don't praise God. Most of us don't worship Him. And I'm not, again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about that garbage where you come in and and the little trite statement, if you must speak, whisper. If you must whisper, whisper a prayer. That's hogwash. But there's something mighty special about just getting alone with God and taking a fit every once in a while. That's worship according to the Bible definition. Now God said, hold it. He said, everything's okay right now. Right now, the church house is full and God's glory is there. Right now, the offerings are what they ought to be. Right now, the preachers what they ought to be. Right now, the leaders what they ought to be. He said, but hold on a second. If I shut up heaven, and if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, in other words, if the glory departs, if the fire goes out, if the worship stops, he said, do this. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Brother Treber, I find when I travel that the people that won't get right with God are the people that are filled with pride. I don't need that. That message is for him. That message is for her. That message is for the youth department. That message is for somebody else. No, sir. The message is for me. The message is for you. Get rid of your stinking pride. 
said, get rid of your pride. Humble yourself. By the way, God has a way of humbling you when you won't humble yourself. Now, I don't have time to go into it tonight, but please, please, don't put yourself in a position of making God to come along and be the one that makes you humble. It's much more pleasant to humble yourself. And then he says, pray and seek my face. Pray and seek my face. Most of us, many of us in this room, when we get into real trouble, one of the last things we do is pray. We call our friends. We call our parents. We call our counselors. We, we, uh, we, we consult with everybody we can. We try to figure it out. And then when all else fails, we, oh yeah, I better go ask God about this thing. God said, no, sir, humble yourself, now pray. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.